Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Empowering Patients with Bipolar 1 Disorder, the Role of Atypical Antipsychotics for Acute Treatment of Manic or Mixed Episodes and Maintenance Therapy. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Alchemies Incorporated. Hello, my name is Christoph Corell. I'm professor of psychiatry and molecular medicine at the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell in New York. And I'm also professor and chair of the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at the Charité University Medicine in Berlin, Germany. Let's start by providing an update about unmet needs in the identification and diagnosis of bipolar disorder type 1. Whenever we treat a disorder, it's important to identify the disorder early and treat it early. And unfortunately, in bipolar disorder, we have a lag time of between 7 and 10 years, partly because maybe the depression is not identified as bipolar depression, mania happens a little later, but it's also because other disorders often precede the diagnosis of substance use disorders, PTSD, maybe also oppositional defiant disorder, anxiety disorders. And sometimes those are then confused with the criteria for bipolar disorder. We know that late diagnosis and late treatment of bipolar disorder can give poorer outcomes, both in the occupational, social, biological, and also goal attainment range, as well as health system utilization. Now, how would we make a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? We need at least one A criterion, which is either abnormally and persistently elevated or expansive mood, plus 3B criteria, or at least irritability with at least 4B criteria. And at least one of the B criteria has to be activity or energy that is elevated. And to remember our B criteria, we have a mnemonic that is called DIGFAST. This includes distractibility, impulsivity, grandiosity, flight of ideas, here's the activity increase, the A, sleep deficit, and talkativeness. One of the biggest problems may be when patients present with depression to identify whether this is unipolar or bipolar depression. Family history of bipolarity is really a red flag. Also, an aberrant course of illness that we have very early depression and potentially also melancholic or psychotic depression, seasonal affective disorder, also an erratic treatment response, multiple treatment failures to antidepressants. But one of the biggest pointers is mania-like symptoms interspersed into the depressive episode. We have tools to identify bipolar disorder. This is either the mood disorder questionnaire or the rapid mood screener, where patients fill out a questionnaire. And then based on points, you can see that there's a high suspicion or at least a risk that this could be bipolar disorder, and only then go into depth to rule that out or identify a patient early enough to provide adequate treatment at the right time. In the next session, let's discuss the efficacy data associated with atypical antipsychotics used in the treatment of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. And let's discuss the atypical antipsychotics used in the treatment of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. Various agents are approved for mania in the atypical antipsychotic group. These include aripiprazole, asenapine, cariprazine, olanzapine, quetiapine, risperidone, and ziprazidone. 
Not all of these agents are also approved for bipolar depression. Those are more restricted. For example, these include cariprazine, lurazidone, olanzapine in combination with fluoxetine, lumateperon, or quetiapine. There are also anticonvulsants that are approved for mania, like carbamazepine or divalproex, valproate, as well as lithium. And that becomes relevant because we can combine these different mechanisms of action. Looking at the efficacy for bipolar 1 disorder, atypical antipsychotics hold their own. When talking about combination treatment, that is either lithium or an antiepileptic, together with an atypical antipsychotic, we generally have better efficacy than in monotherapy for patients that don't respond to monotherapy alone or sufficiently. We also have data for maintenance efficacy in terms of atypical antipsychotics being able to prevent relapse in monotherapy or combination treatment. There has been a recent approval of olanzapine in combination with semidorphin, which is a mu opioid antagonist based on pharmacokinetic data that showed that samidorphin didn't alter the olanzapine levels in either schizophrenia or bipolar disorder patients, and based on the legacy data of olanzapine being very effective for patients with bipolar 1 disorder, olanzapine samidorphin was approved for bipolar 1 disorder, both monotherapy and augmentation, having a different olanzapine version available that is associated with less weight gain and less cardiometabolic burden. In the next session, we'll discuss the safety considerations and management strategies for atypical antipsychotics used in the treatment of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. In this session, let's discuss safety considerations and management strategies for atypical antipsychotics. Based on the pharmacology of the antipsychotics, we can predict their safety profile. So for example, when looking at dopamine blockade-related side effects, that means Parkinsonism and use of anticholinergics, akathisia, or prolactin elevation, we consistently have a greater signal for these side effects with typical antipsychotics. That is followed by the atypical antipsychotics that have the designation of a done, risperidone, paliperidone, lurazidone, ziprazidone. These are agents that bind to dopamine more and are more likely to cause these extrapyramidal and motor side effects. Whereas the peens, olanzapine, quetiapine, or the pips, aripiprazole, cariprazine, cause less of these dopamine-related blockade side effects because they either have partial agonism or inbuilt anticholinergic, antihistaminergic activity. When we look at sedation, it's the other way around. The peens, olanzapine, quetiapine, would have more side effects, whereas the dones and the pips are less so. What are we seeing in terms of metabolics? It's basically following the weight gain potential. Here are the peens, olanzapine, quetiapine, and even clozapine cause the most metabolic abnormalities. And then the pips and the dones or the first generation agents are less so. And that is both in acute and long-term phase. Patients actually don't like weight gain. They don't like somnolence or problems with metabolic issues but they also don't like prolactin elevation and sexual side effects. So we have to find the right patients for the right medication and educate them about the side effects. So the question then is, how do we avoid metabolic-related side effects? Olanzapine is a very good anti-manic medication, 
but it has weight gain and metabolic considerations. When adding somidorphan, there's a decrease in appetite that sets in at about four to six weeks. And then there's almost a flattening of the weight gain curve, whereas with olanzapine alone, weight gain continues to increase. There's a significantly lower proportion of people who gain at least 7 or 10% of weight when having somidorphan added to olanzapine versus olanzapine alone. And also, new-onset hypertension or new-onset metabolic syndrome is cut in half as a risk. Since somidorphan is an opioid antagonist, we have to be careful when patients are opioid addicted because here it could give them symptoms of withdrawal. And it's important that we discuss this risk with patients. In the next session, we'll discuss the key considerations for selection of an atypical antipsychotic in the treatment of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. In this session, let's discuss the key considerations for selecting an atypical antipsychotic for the treatment of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. We have different layers that we need to address. Yes, we have to treat the actual core symptoms of mania, but we also have to take into consideration the character of the patients, whether the patient's age or gender, social work or status and goals are compatible with the goals that we have for them, the psychiatric and physical comorbidities and the treatment context, and also whether patients have caregiver support. Putting our knowledge together about the patient and the medication that we want to choose, are they in an inpatient or outpatient setting? What is the efficacy and safety basis that we have? And what tolerability issues might the patient be concerned about the most? When we combine treatments, we want to combine treatments with different mechanisms of action. So we need to also bear that in mind and avoid drug-drug interactions. Antimatic agents have varying degrees of ability to also treat or prevent depressive symptoms. So that's the polarity index of the patient that comes into play. Do we have a patient that is predominantly going into depressive episodes or manic episodes or a mixture of that so that we can then pair and match the different agents that provide antimanic and or antidepressant treatment? But then we need to marry efficacy and tolerability because that feeds into adherence. And without adherence and patient satisfaction, we will not get to subjective well-being, quality of life, and functional capacity. For example, we have olanzapine plus somidorphan for patients who are concerned about cardiometabolic side effects or where the clinician is concerned due to the risk of diabetes or cardiovascular events. We may want to consider in patients who have early weight gain or considerable weight gain that is ongoing with olanzapine to switch quickly to olanzapine somidorphan because that will then curb and attenuate or even arrest the weight gain, which is a good personal, but also long-term biological outcome. In the next session, we will then discuss methods to optimize the integration of atypical antipsychotics into treatment plans for patients with bipolar 1 disorder. In this session, we'll discuss methods to optimize the integration of atypical antipsychotics into the treatment plans of patients with bipolar 1 disorder. To improve outcomes in bipolar 1 disorder, we need to act. What does that mean? We need to assess, care, and treat. The assessment part means assessing safety status, evaluating signs and symptoms of the disease and their response to treatment, having a medical examination, and also choose necessary treatments. On the care side, we need to have continuing collaborative partnership with patients, caregivers, 
as well as treatment team members. That includes an alliance and adherence to treatment, relationship with consumer and family, and education about early warning signs of recurrence of the illness. And with the treatment selection, we need to select treatments that, based on the polarity index the patient has, treats acutely or maintains efficacy against recurrence of mania, depression, or mixed features. To choose the treatment, we need to employ a shared decision-making model, which has been shown to give the best outcomes. This includes psychoeducation, also reducing stigma in seeking care and accepting care. We need to educate about and implement non-pharmacologic therapies in conjunction with pharmacology, talk about anticipated short and long-term benefits as well as short and long-term side effects, educate about certain risks, and integrate management options with patient goals in a motivational interviewing style. The key goals are to treat acute mania and prevent it from happening again, to treat acute bipolar depression and prevent it from happening again. We need to select treatments based on the polarity index, but we also need to monitor the safety of our treatments. That includes asking patients about common side effects like sedation, cognitive dulling, but also means to assess for extrapyramidal side effects and akathisia, as well as weight measurements, because weight gain can occur with our medications. Blood work would then be done in order to see whether there are metabolic abnormalities. Doing this together, we have a treatment and monitoring package that can help the patients navigate their illness the best. So in this last session, we reviewed how individualizing bipolar one disorder treatment means to integrate the available management options into the patient's life, aiming for euthymia, stable mood, and functioning. The overall take-home messages from this program are bipolar one disorder is a highly complex psychiatric disorder that requires skill and attention to adequately diagnose and manage it. Multiple treatment options exist that need to be tailored to the patient's biopsychosocial situation and desired outcomes. And one should think long-term from the beginning and balance efficacy and safety of available treatments and integrate the treatment options with patient preferences and goals. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.